0: We've been working our way through the book of Ruth as a way of appreciating in a new way or a fresh way who Jesus is when He comes to us at Christmas. You might say, "Why are we in Ruth at Christmas time?" And I hope you're beginning to see the connective tissue the, that that Ruth gives us a different angle and a, a fresh perspective on the gift of Jesus, the gift of Christmas. And today we find ourselves in Ruth chapter three. Ruth chapter three. We'll read it in just a moment. But for those of you who missed uh, the sermon on a Saturday night before the snow from Ruth chapter 2. I'm going to give you a little bit of a summary of chapter 2 to bring us up to speed for chapter 3. In, in chapter 2, Ruth, the, the woman who's come back with Naomi from Moab, goes out to glean, to, to find grain, and God gives her what she prays for. She doesn't pray just that she would find food. She asked God that He would give someone to notice her and she stumbles into Boaz's field, and he does notice her, and he gives her incredible kindness. And that word kindness is a very important word in the Old Testament. In chapter 2, verse 20, the word kindness is mercy or loving kindness or covenant faithfulness. It's, it's God's desire uh, to have a covenant and to enter into a lasting relationship with his people. So, He doesn't just let Ruth glean in his field, Boaz does far more than that. He offers protection, he gives her bread and vinegar, he nourishes her before he sends her out into his field to glean, and then she gets far more grain than she needs. She gets enough grain, an ephah of barley, 30 pounds worth, to lug back to her mother-in-law. She's got plenty of grain to share, and what we find in chapter 2 is a picture of Jesus, The greater Boaz, the ultimate redeemer who would be born in Bethlehem, who would live a perfect life and die in the place of sinners so that our sinful isolation from the Lord would become the satisfying fullness of a new life that we can have in God through faith in Jesus Christ. But the end of chapter 2 isn't the end of the story. In fact, the end of chapter 2 really raises a question for us. What's going to happen when the harvests end? What, what happens when the, the bread is no longer being harvested and the season is over? You see, bread is one thing, but is God going to provide a son to raise up the deadline of Elimelech, Naomi's husband? the The death of a son in the line of Judah is what has brought Naomi, who was alien to the people of God, and yet a son dies and it brings someone into the... People of God, but now the question is can God raise a son from the deadness of Naomi's family line and save them both? You see, Ruth is about the death of a son of Judah and the resurrection of a son of Judah, interestingly enough. You see, for Naomi to be rescued, an animal won't do, an animal sacrifice is not enough to take away her sins. An angel can't pay the price for her sins because an angel is not united with her in her humanity. Naomi must have a son, and for her to have a son, there must be someone who's related to her husband to pay the price and redeem her land and give her her a son. Did we just lose the signal? Hello, hello, hello. All right, we're back. So what is needed is for God to provide a miracle son to take the place of her dead sons, a son who can redeem her and her land and her standing among the people of God. And Boaz seems to be a possible solution. But as the harvest season ends and nothing yet has happened, Naomi grows impatient. Can you imagine that, an impatient mother-in-law? So she devises a plan. To, you know, at least help Ruth out. If Boaz isn't going to redeem her, so be it. But Ruth needs a husband. She needs someone to secure her standing in the land. So as a result of the the hastiness of Naomi, what we get in chapter 3 is a look at the impeccable character of Boaz, the Redeemer. Would you read with me now chapter 3? Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter... Shall I not seek security for you, that it may be well with you? Now is not Boaz our kinsman, with whose maids you were? Behold, he winnows barley at the threshing floor tonight. Wash yourself, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your best clothes, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. It shall be when he lies down that you shall notice the place where he lies, and you shall Go and uncover his feet and lie down, then he will tell you what you shall do. She said to her, all that you say I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did according to all that her mother-in-law had commanded her. When Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain and she came secretly and uncovered his feet and lay down. It happened in the middle of the night that the man was startled and bent forward and behold, a woman was lying at his feet. He said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your maid. So spread your covering over your maid, for you are a close relative. Then he said, May you be blessed of the Lord, my daughter. You have shown your last kindness to be better than the first by not going after young men, whether poor or rich. Now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you whatever you ask, for all my people in the city know that you are a woman of excellence. Now, it is true that I am a close relative, however, there is a relative closer than I. Remain this night, and when morning comes, if he will redeem you, good, let him redeem you. But if he does not wish to redeem you, then I will redeem you as the Lord lives. Lie down until morning. So she laid his feet until morning and rose before one could recognize another. And he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. Again, he said, give me the cloak that is on you and hold it. So she held it. And he measured six measures of barley and laid it on her. Then she went into the city. When she came to her mother-in-law, she said, How did it go, my daughter? And she told her all that the man had done for her. She said, These six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said, Do not go to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Then she said, Wait, my daughter, until you know how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest. Until he has settled it today. Would you pray with me? God we thank you. For a redeemer. Who does not fail in the moment of crisis. For a redeemer who though tempted in all ways as we were. Was yet without sin. He came at Christmas to offer himself as the perfect atoning sacrifice. To unite us with himself in marriage. And God, we ask that as we review Ruth chapter 3, that you would help us see the connection to Jesus and that we would adore him, that we would do as that song says, oh, come, let us adore him. Jesus, we want to adore you today. Help us to see how beautiful you are, how trustworthy you are in this text of scripture this morning. We ask it for for the glory of Christ and the good of his church and the sake of the nations who are yet to know of our great Savior. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Act 3, scene 1. I've called it the plans of an impatient mother-in-law. And the lesson that we should learn from verses 1 through 6, we really don't find until the end of the chapter when Naomi is finally giving good spiritual advice, right? She's she's telling Ruth, let's wait on Boaz. Let's wait on the Lord's Redeemer. But first, she's, she's... Doing, she's defaulting back to what she had done at the beginning. You remember when Bethlehem had a famine? She and her husband, what do they do? They take matters into their own hands and they leave Bethlehem and go to Moab rather than trusting in God. And she comes back and she confesses, when I was full of my own plans and my own dreams and had a full family, I was a pleasant person because my circumstances were great. Everything was wonderful and I was pleasant. And then I abandoned the place where God's grace is known and things became unpleasant. Because God had to show me something. That life that is full on my terms rather than life that is full with the fullness of God is ultimately empty. And she had come to the place where she knew the emptiness of self-reliance and she returned to Bethlehem. But you know, by now Naomi has been filled. She's been fed. She's tasted of some bread that God has provided for her. And have you discovered in your life yet as a Christian that sometimes we can revert back to the old ways of trying to take control of our circumstances and our situations? That we can try to fill ourselves at Christmas time with presents and old Christmas movies and sentimentalism and tradition and Advent candles and all the pomp and circumstance of Christmas and yet never really be filled up to overflowing by the presence of God Himself? Are you desperate for God this morning? Are you hungry just for a little bread on the table? Are you hungry for the fullness of being known by God and knowing Him? You see, Naomi has had her fill of bread, her circumstances are better, but the barley's running out and the harvest season is over. And Boaz hasn't done anything yet, so what are they going to do? And I think Naomi is a lot like us and we're a lot like Naomi. We when we get pressed in those circumstances rather than waiting on the Lord and trusting in Christ and remembering that if he sent his son to die for us then surely he's going to take care of us. We want to take control back. And that's what we see in Naomi. Her two questions in verses 1 and 2 are not are not like honest questions. They're rhetorical questions. She's not like, "Hey Ruth, let me get your opinion on this." Rather, they are questions that assume the answer. She She's saying, my daughter, shall I not seek security for you? Now, isn't Boaz our kinsman? I mean, it's only right that we do this. She's not asking her opinion. She's justifying the course of the action that she's about to suggest. Naomi wants marriage for Ruth. In other words, her motives are right. She wants to protect protect the daughter-in-law who's come back with her from a foreign land, but her motives, while her motives are right, her methods are wrong. And for the people of God, right motive is not enough. We also have to employ the right methods. In other words, the end does not justify the means. We we have to be faithful not only in pursuing what is right, we have to get there in the right way. In verse 2, Naomi says, Boaz is winnowing grain tonight. Why would we wait for daylight to make a marriage proposal. Why would we wait for that? Let's just use the cover of darkness. By the way, what man in his right mind was going to marry a widowed, childless, Moabite woman with a needy mother-in-law anyway? So Naomi knows her limitations and she opts for the less than honorable tactics that come under the cover of darkness. She so desperately wants her will to be God's will that she fails to wait upon the Lord. And that is dangerous, dangerous territory, church. Naomi's plan might work, by the way. Do you remember the story of Tamar and Judah? Judah did not give his son as a redeemer to Tamar, and so Tamar gets tired of waiting and takes matters into her own hands and dresses as a lady of the night and meets Judah on the path to mourn the death of his daughter, and then things happen, and then we have the son Perez, which, interestingly enough, is the great-great-great-great-great-grandfather of Boaz. So maybe she thinks, well, there's a little bit of shenanigans in the family line and we can trick this man of honor up into doing what he needs to do to get this thing moving, this plan of God. Naomi tells Ruth, just wash yourself, anoint yourself, get on maybe some midnight perfume at midnight hour and get dressed at a minimum At a minimum, what Ruth is proposing, what Naomi is proposing rather, is that Ruth present herself to Boaz as a bride. We know this because the exact same language is used in Ezekiel 16 when it says that the Lord made Israel his bride, how he bathed and perfumed and dressed her. But I think more than just a marriage proposal is going on here, church, because it's nighttime at the threshing floor. And Hosea 9.1 tells us the threshing floor was a common place of prostitution. Naomi tells Ruth not to approach Boaz until he finishes eating and drinking. Why? Likely because a man with a full stomach is more easily persuaded. Then Ruth is supposed to find where Boaz is, uncover his feet, lie down, and wait for him to tell her what to do. In verse 5. Ruth's loyalty to Naomi shines through, does it not? I'm going to do whatever you ask me to do. And in verse 6, we learn that that's exactly what she does. And this is a warning to us, church. When, when you encounter someone who's hungry to come near to the people of God and to really enter into the church life and you are their mentor in, their, in the faith, you are their example, you've got to guard yourself. You gotta be careful what you suggest to new believers, people who are new into the family of God, as what is godly conduct. Naomi is, is putting Ruth at great risk here. And she also provides the circumstances in which the worthy Redeemer, Boaz, will be tested, will be tested. Ferguson writes this: perfume, nighttime, good food and wine, the warm physical closeness of an attractive woman. What man could miss the apparent message? Will Bethlehem's Redeemer pass the test? Act 3, scene 2. Boaz is tested. And the Redeemer from Bethlehem passes the test. He will redeem in God's way. In verse 7, we read that Ruth came to Boaz secretly, likely concealing her identity with the shawl or the cloak that she would soon use to carry home six measures or handfuls of barley back to her mother-in-law. If you think that Boaz is under pressure here, if you think he's facing a serious test, church, you're right. He's on a full stomach. He's worked hard all day at the threshing floor. He's not at his home. He's laying down in the pitch black countryside outside of Bethlehem where they didn't have iPhones with flashlights. This is can't-see-your-hand-in-front-of-your-face kind of darkness. Have you ever been in that kind of darkness? Verse 8 says, it's the middle of the night. Church, the crisis comes in the cover of darkness. And that is where character is proven and the light of Christ is proven is how we behave and operate when it's dark. We will soon know what kind of man Boaz is nighttime perfume and a younger woman lying at his feet and Boaz is startled awake. I bet he was startled awake. And at this point in the story, Naomi thought Boaz was going to tell Ruth what to do. Instead, Boaz asks a very important question in verse 9. Who are you? Boaz is like Jesus rebuking Satan in the Desert wilderness. He doesn't mistake temptation for opportunity. In the pitch black darkness of the fields near Bethlehem, where the shepherds a few centuries later would be guarding their flocks by night, the godliness of Boaz shines like a bright light. He will not know this woman without knowing who she is. Faced with great temptation, Bethlehem's Redeemer will not sin. And when the Redeemer asks us, church, who we are, look at what happens. Ruth, who said in chapter 2, I'm just a foreigner. I'm just from Moab. I'm not even deserving to be one of your servants. Now she says, I am one of your servants. I belong to you. You've brought me into your family. And she makes two requests. Her first request is for Boaz to spread his covering over her, which is a biblical way of saying, will you marry me? In Ezekiel 16, God says, I spread my skirt over you, and I covered your nakedness in making Israel his bride. But Ruth goes further than just wanting security for herself. She takes it to the next level. She says, by the way, Boaz, you are a close relative. That word there is the Hebrew word goel. It means a kinsman redeemer. One who is qualified to redeem because of your relationship to Elimelech, So I don't want you to just marry me. I want you to take care of Naomi too. I want you to give her a standing and an inheritance in the land. I want you to raise up her family name from the dead and give her a son. Can you think of a redeemer born at Christmas who both unites himself in a marriage with his people and also pays the price necessary to buy them back from the sin that they committed? You see, Naomi and Ruth are giving us the the dual picture of the redemption that Jesus provides for us. That he unites Himself with us in this radical, mystical union whereby faith we are in Christ and we belong to Him and His death is ours and His burial is ours and His resurrection is ours and His ascension. We are seated with Him in the heavenlies and He pleads the blood that He shed on the cross for us and we are united with Him in that and He also went to the cross, to Calvary, to pay the price to buy us back from the slave market of sin and to make us His bride. He did both. In verse 10, we learn that Ruth is a young woman and Boaz is an older man. She could have pursued a younger man, any younger man, whether poor or rich or in between, but instead she comes to Boaz. Why does she come to Boaz? Because she wants redemption for Naomi. And when we come to Jesus, the ultimate Redeemer from Bethlehem, he does what Boaz did in verse 11. He puts our fears at ease. I think it's interesting that in verse 11, Boaz tells Ruth, do not fear. It reminds me of the angels to Mary and of the angels to the shepherds. Fear not, fear not, fear not. God is going to provide. The Redeemer from Bethlehem never asks you to compromise the integrity that characterizes those who trust in the Lord and follow Him. He doesn't say, fear not, now let's do what you were suggesting. Rather, he says, let's make a plan for, to protect your character. For the whole city recognizes, Ruth, that you are a woman of excellence. In other words, you've become like the Redeemer. Back in chapter 2, verse 1, Boaz is called a man, a great one, a man of wealth or prominence or excellence. That word, that last word in that description is the exact same word that Boaz now uses to describe Ruth. Do you understand what's going on here, church? when we really get redeemed by the Redeemer from Bethlehem, the Lord Jesus Christ, over time we become more and more and more like the one who saved us. We become more godly in our character. We begin to think more like Jesus would think in, in the various circumstances of life. So, Boaz is ready to redeem. He's ready to get married. But there's a problem that we discover in verse 12. And this problem that we discover in verse 12 is the way in which the author shows us the impeccable character of Boaz. You see, the problem is, Boaz is apparently attracted to Ruth, would like to marry Ruth, very impressed by Ruth, but there's another Redeemer who is closer in his relationship to Elimelech, which means for Boaz to skip the line would be a violation of the Old Testament law. In Leviticus 25, 25, we read that the rite of redemption begins with the closest relative or the closest redeemer. So, while Boaz is a relative and fond of Ruth, he's got to do the redeeming in the right way. Bethlehem's redeemer knows and obeys God's law, church. Can you imagine, under the cover of darkness, a woman that you're attracted to, she's right there, all the pieces fall together except this one little thing about God's law. What man does this? Boaz did. Boaz is like the man of Psalm 1. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and he meditates on it day and night. He's like a tree firmly planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in its season. He doesn't pretend to follow God by selfishly interpreting his circumstances to his own advantage. Rather, he follows God by sacrificing Whatever must be sacrificed in order to respond to his circumstances biblically. Ferguson says it this way. Such poise is not in us by nature. It comes through meditation on God's Word. A life transformed by a renewed mind. Uncompromised commitment to pleasing Him. And an assurance that His ways are best. The Redeemer from Bethlehem understands Redemption must come in God's way and in God's time. And after Boaz explains that he's going to see to it that someone redeems Ruth, he protects her. He protects her reputation. She says he protects her from uh, the elements of nighttime and the dangers of nighttime. He says you can lay here until morning and then they get up early and she gets back home. And before he sends her away, what does he give her? Some more bread. And not just enough bread for Ruth, but for Naomi as well. You see, what God is saying and what Boaz is saying to us is, you can trust me, you can rely on me, I will supply your need. Boaz is sending a little signal to Naomi. He's saying to her, look, I get it. I understand your panic, I know why you did it, but I do not approve. My heart is open to you in grace. And here's a little message, trust in the Lord. Trust in the provision that God gives through His Son, but you've got to wait on the Lord. There's going to be trials in the Christian life. There's going to be adversity in the Christian life. There's going to be hardship in the Christian life. And in the midst of the trial and the adversity and the hardship, don't give up. Keep waiting on the Lord who gives bread. Scene 3, Act 3. Are they going to get the message? Waiting for a resolution. We must wait on the Lord and trust the Redeemer will act. In verse 16, most English translations do a poor job with Naomi's question. Naomi doesn't ask, how did it go? She asks, who are you? Which is interesting because that's exactly what Boaz asked a few verses earlier at the threshing floor. It's the same question that we all need to ask ourselves. Who are we? You see, what Naomi wants to know is, is Ruth Ruth as she knew her, or is she now Ruth as the engaged or betrothed to Boaz? The full rescue that Naomi desires for Ruth cannot come to her unless she is united with someone who has the resources to provide for her. It's a picture of Christ and His church. We can't just know the facts about Jesus We can't just come and light candles and sing songs about Jesus. We have to have a radical, uniting relationship with Him by faith. And as we know, Ruth's union with Boaz must wait for the final act for chapter 4. Did you know it's like that for the church as well? We are united with Christ by faith now, but one day faith will become sight. We know the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, now but one day we'll see him face to face we wait for the consummation of our forever union with christ in the new heavens and new earth but in the meantime the redeemer from bethlehem does not leave us look at verse 17 he doesn't leave us empty-handed i don't want you to be empty-handed naomi i don't want you to waver in your trust of the lord always providing uh, us enough to know that he is good on his promise you see, church, when we stop devising our own plans and we rest in Christ, that is when He fills us. When we stop scheming to our own advantage and do whatever it is that God is asking us to do, no matter what it costs us, it is then that we find the promise of Isaiah 40.31 40, is true. Those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Naomi is learning, as we all must learn, there's never a good reason to run ahead of God. There's never a good reason to run ahead of God. She's becoming pleasant now, not through a trust in her own resourcefulness, but through a confident trust in what the Lord will do through Boaz. And we know that she is learning because of what happens in verse 18. In verse 18, the woman who... Gave some unwise counsel to Ruth, is now giving very wise counsel indeed. She says, wait. The word literally means sit down. Can you imagine Ruth? She goes on a nighttime mission. Doesn't necessarily go as her mother-in-law had originally intended. She comes back nervous, adrenaline coursing through her veins. Have I failed my mother-in-law? Is she going to be disappointed? I did bring you some bread. He told me to tell you. I'm not going to leave you empty-handed. And Naomi, in that moment, gets the message from Boaz and ultimately from God. And she's, she's reminded that God is God and she is not. And she says to Ruth, stop your pacing. Sit down. It's okay. You can rest. And the reason that Ruth and Naomi can rest is the same reason that we can rest. We've got a Redeemer who comes from Bethlehem who is a worthy relative. Under the face of the greatest temptation, He was without sin. We cannot trust in ourselves, but there is a Redeemer in whom we can trust. He notices our need and He will not rest until the issue of our redemption is settled. He settled it at the cross. He's coming again for those who trust in Him. And this morning, If you are striving and scheming and planning and trying to extrapolate from your circumstances to make the world your oyster rather than living for the God who came low into the world to give you real life, stop your striving this morning. Look to the Redeemer from Bethlehem who came down from heaven to be a Redeemer for you, related to you in your humanity so that He could become sin for you and give you His life and deliver you from the emptiness of your sin and your scheming and your self-reliance and give you instead a fullness that can only come from the Redeemer from Bethlehem, the Lord Jesus Christ, the bread, the bread of life. Would you pray with me? King Jesus, we thank you for your godly character under all sorts of unimaginable pressures We thank you for your faithfulness to the Father in going to the cross. We thank you, God, that you counted it all joy to offer yourself in our place so that we might be united with you through faith, that we might be redeemed from our sin. And God, this morning, I've got to think in a room with as many people are here, there are some, God, they know about you but they don't yet know the joy of knowing you. God, they know what you've done, but they don't yet know how to rest in you. God, they've never repented of their sin and cried out in faith saying, God, I'm a sinner, rescue me. Lord, if there's someone here this morning that, that needs to run to Jesus and find the rest and the provision that you give, I pray that you would give them the liberty and the courage to step out this morning and to trust in Jesus God for the Christian who's been scheming and planning and running on empty because they've been running not according to your will but to God not not according to your will but to their own God give them the liberty to come and start fresh with Jesus I ask it in Jesus name Amen